Welcome back to the Breakwater Podcast for episode two in our seven episode series with Sandy Schaefer, owner of Schaefer Counseling and Consulting and part of the Collaborative Wellness Group. In episode one, we talked all about emotional intelligence and how understanding our emotions can help us regulate our responses. In episode two, we're talking about coping skills. Coping skills are the methods we all use to navigate stress or stressful situations, and they look a little bit different for everyone. Keep listening to learn why they are so important for all of us. Sandy is up next. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you? Great. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. So we're here today for episode two of our seven episode series with you. And today we're talking about coping skills. Specifically, we're looking at ways to help manage anxiety and social pressures. Uh, Something I know that I felt as a teenager and honestly still do in my 30s. How about you? Absolutely. I think we're all struggle with coping skills, especially as the world keeps changing. Yeah. So let's maybe kick it off by talking about coping skills in terms of what are they and what do people typically mean when they talk about coping skills? Perfect. Well, I think one of the ways to describe coping skills is really the way that we deal with any situation in our life, how we manage our emotions, our thoughts, our behaviors. It's how we protect ourselves And how we look at stressful situations and be able to either allow them to control us or we kind of take control and learn how to manage them without it kind of hijacking us, quite honestly. And in terms of coping skills, are there good coping skills and bad coping skills or maybe healthy coping skills and unhealthy coping skills? Oh, absolutely. I think, of course... As a clinician, my goal is that people learn healthy coping skills. But the same as we talked about emotional intelligence in our last podcast, part of it is being able to understand and identify what emotions am I having and what's a re- appropriate response to these emotions. Sure. So, you know, there's the kind of that front end needing to understand a little bit better of that self-awareness piece of our emotions and then how do you manage those and when we don't know how to manage them of course they become unhealthy it's where you're going to find the substance use maybe the cutting the lashing out the anger the violence yeah so what would be some examples maybe then I mean you kind of listed some maybe unhealthy coping skills the substance use the cutting that kind of thing what would maybe be a few examples of some healthy coping skills Running, running, yoga, breathing, journaling, listening to music, going for a walk. I actually found um, on Pinterest, of all things, because I very rarely go on Pinterest, but I found an A to Z coping skills for kids. Interesting. And it's this cute little chart, and it has like each one with a cute little picture and it's great for young adult like young children really not young adults it's for you know b is for breathing oh cute 
and it goes through the whole alphabet and it does a beautiful job. And I think that's important is to remember that coping skills start right in infancy, really. Yeah. So it's important for us to look at teaching that along the way and helping our children understand what healthy coping skills look like. Of course, as parents modeling them, which is also important. But to allow them and ourselves to explore new things. Yeah. You know, especially in people in early recovery. You know, in the past, their their coping skills meant using. Yeah. So now it's this beautiful thing of discovering what you like and what you don't like. Well, you don't find those things out unless you try them. So someone maybe is bowling for the first time and find they really like it and maybe they're kind of good at it. Yeah. Or they start exercising or journaling, whatever it is. And so they're discovering themselves new ways. So it's always important for us to kind of explore those new healthy options. Excellent advice. So we kind of touched this on this, or I should say you kind of touched on this a little bit, but why are coping skills important? Well, I think the most important is really it allows us to become aware of our emotions, right? And it recognizes our emotions as an opportunity to connect either to ourselves or to other people. So then it's that connection between others, being empathetic towards others. And it helps us to really communicate empathy and understanding. And it helps us set limits, right? So in a relationship with someone else, we need to have boundaries of what we're going to tolerate or not tolerate. Because once we get to kind of that threshold, we lose the coping skills. Yeah. Well, and I think boundaries is something that we lose sight of sometimes, the importance of having them and allowing, as parents, allowing our kids to have them. Yeah. You know, we live in this social media world, which we're going to talk about on our upcoming podcast. But there's, it's kind of endless, right? Like you can learn anything, you can connect to anyone, they can connect to you. It's a lot easier for people to say things behind a screen Mm -hmm. versus to communicate in person. And that's a piece of it is we want to have communication skills, but we lose those. Yeah. We lose those completely with just going virtual. Our world became virtual. And then for many kids and adults, quite honestly, our connection is our coping skill, right? We need to connect with other people. And then that was kind of taken from us. And so if we don't have kind of this fruit basket of coping skills, different things we can try, we don't know what to do. We, we lose that self-regulation, that self-awareness. Yeah. And I liked how you said kind of when we opened it up about, you know, finding who you are through trying these different things and these different coping skills or these different activities. Because I think especially, you know, with throughout COVID and the social isolation and the stay at home orders and the virtual world, like just knowing who you are in absence of the people around you, I think is really important. 
I agree. And I think it put all of us, I think it kind of tested all of us in regards to what that was. Um, I know it did for me as far mm-hmm. as who took what possession position on the mask mandate or having various opinions about even going out and socializing yeah, or how many people you should spend time with. You know, what restrictions do you put on your kids or don't put on your kids? Do you go to work or not? Yeah. You know, you have a headache. Do you really need to stay home? Those types of things where some people would choose yes, absolutely, and others would say, no, I'm fine. And being able to really have that compassion. Yeah. For differencing of opinions, being able to give everyone a little bit of grace, which is always hard. Mm-hmm. So I think through the last year, for sure, I think it was a test for all of us to kind of figure out where we stand on a lot of situations, a lot of issues. I know in therapy, we are seeing more and more people with anxiety and depression. And they're coming in saying, I don't know, like, I don't know how to feel. I don't know how to do this. I don't know what's right. Because they've never or very seldom have been put in a position that they needed to decide where they do stand on something. Because it's easier to kind of just go with everyone. Yeah. And now there's this fear or misunderstanding that people are trying to figure out and they don't know how to cope with it. Yeah. And I feel like even just when you are always surrounding yourself with other people or always immersing yourself in some activity, and then all of a sudden you find yourself by yourself, or maybe those activities aren't available to you for whatever reason, and maybe it's the first time you've been allowed to kind of sit there alone with your thoughts or not have another person to kind of, you know, hold on to or lean against in in a real or metaphorical sense mm-hmm. um, you really start to learn maybe a little bit about who you are or who you want to be and you have that space and it can be terrifying oh it can absolutely be terrifying it is one of the most difficult lessons life skills whatever you want to call it to help people walk through it's really easy for us to distract ourselves with others Right. One of the things I use say all the time to some of my clients is, you know, the people that are consumed with kind of the gossip and what everybody else are doing tend to be some of the sickest people because mm-hmm. it, it's easier to look at other people's stuff than oh, to look sure. at my own. Oh, sure. And so it's a matter of looking at your own stuff and learning to have a relationship with yourself. And that's terrifying for many people. You know, the There's a lot, a lot of research, right, that shows the importance of meditation, mindfulness, self-awareness, being able to just simply be present. And it's really difficult. Yeah. It's a practiced art, really. And so when we're trying to help people engage in this practiced art, it's like, no, I can't do it. Well, a lot of times the discomfort is I don't want to sit with myself. Mm-hmm. I don't have a relationship good enough, strong enough, positive enough that I want to just be with myself. And that's really uh, kind of
kind of a challenge for everyone. Like, can you just simply sit for 10 minutes by yourself with your own thoughts? Yeah, without your phone or social yes. media or any distractions. Yeah. Right. Nothing. You, you don't get all of those vices that we distract ourselves with. <laughs> like, you actually have to just sit with you. Yeah. And when you can start doing that, it's beautiful because then, you know, then your main coping skill becomes that self-awareness. And you are in touch with your emotions and your thoughts, how your body is responding. You have the ability to hear and be present and have eye contact with people and have self-confidence because you become more comfortable in your own skin, really. Yeah. So you mentioned before kind of having a fruit basket of coping skills. How is there like a number of how many coping skills a person should have? I think there's never enough coping skills. Like, I don't think that we should limit our coping skills. I think (laughs) there's so many different situations that happen in our lives that I think the more coping skills you have, the better off you're going to be. Yeah. Because we don't want to just limit it. If I limit it that my only coping skill is going for a walk or going for a run, we live in Wisconsin, yeah. Right. It could snow and rain and be sunny and <laughs> windy all in the same day. Like I need to be able to, okay, the weather's not so good today. What else can I do to get in touch with myself? You know, be it reducing my stress level in a different way than exercise. What else can I do? Is it building puzzles or journaling or talking to a certain person or listening to a podcast or pulling out some artwork, whatever it may be. But the more coping skills we have, the better we're going to be prepared to deal with whatever is going on in our life. Yeah. And I like how you talked about in the beginning about, you know, the way COVID has impacted this, because if you were like my coping skill or like my time for the day, what keeps me healthy and centered is that 10 minutes in the morning when the house is quiet and empty and all of a sudden the house is no longer quiet or empty for any amount of time, much less 10 minutes. Or it's my going to work and having that chat at lunch with my coworkers, which is now gone. Or, you know, we heard from a lot of people in the recovery community where, you know, their groups weren't happening or they were happening virtually. So it's not that same connection that you get while sharing the same physical space with somebody and so when, yeah, I, I, I like your point about having options of if this one isn't available to me, what's my next best option or how do I pivot from here? Yes. Well, and it goes back to a little bit of vulnerability to try new things and fail at them. Yeah. Right. We may not like them all. We may not do well at them all, but to try something different you know, you brought up solutions or people in early recovery and solutions recovery club here in Oshkosh is amazing. And they really are. And for those that may not know, it's open again, full time. Um, And it's all run by volunteers. So if anyone wants to volunteer, please feel free. But one of the things that went away when COVID hit was the club shut down, right? And there were virtual meetings and there were, you know, tons of ways to connect virtually. But as we know, there's only so much connection you can get through a computer screen. Yeah. And I think for many people in early recovery, and as a professional, I 
push it all the time. Like, this is fantastic. Like, go connect with these people. It's a safe place. And then all of a sudden that's taken. Yeah. And if we don't have the fruit basket of resources or coping skills, it's like, okay, well, now what? Which is where a lot of overdoses or relapses or self-harm came into play, I think, over the last year and a half. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about it in in a subsequent podcast as well or a subsequent subsequent episode as well. But even f- when you if you take that out of the adult context and put it in the kids context, when schools went virtual, oh. there are so many resources available to kids within the school setting. And when you switch that to a virtual a virtual delivery, you eliminate that access to that resource. Where And you eliminate a lot of the opportunities for kids to develop coping skills or maybe eliminate even what they had set up as their mm-hmm. coping skills and their support system. And so that's definitely played a toll on students as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, I think people with children understand that. I don't know if the community at large understands that. You know, if you have, don't have children or if you are a young adult or you're someone who is older that have kind of gone through that. I think the, the mindset is different through generations, but it's absolutely true. I mean, there just, there wasn't and everyone I believe did the best they could. And I'd like to believe that many people develop new coping skills. Yeah. During this time, because some of us didn't have a lot of options. We Besides finding something different that yeah. was going to work. Yeah. You know, the gym shut down. The library shut down. Like some of the things that, honestly, that many people take for granted as part of their coping skills were no longer an option. Yeah. Or even if you don't even think about it in terms of this is my coping skills. Right. Like this is what keeps me healthy and centered. It's just part of your daily routine. Like, I know that I am a much better person when I have some sort of physical activity built into my day. But as I was going day to day to day, I didn't necessarily think about how that physical activity played into the bigger role, almost Mm -hmm. until you're forced to think, like, why am I so grouchy right now? Why am I being this way? And it's like, oh... I haven't worked out in three or four days. That might be a reason. Like, or I me. haven't left the house in three or four days. Yeah, yeah. Or I haven't been able to have my regular connections or my quiet space. Or, you know, I remember at one point thinking how much I missed listening to podcasts or audiobooks on my daily drive to work. Yes. And now you no longer have that daily drive to work. Or you and your kids and your spouse are all working at home or at home. It's like, so you run out of things to talk about because you see each other all day, every day. Mm-hmm. And how do you even maintain those connections within your own household? Right, because yeah. you're talking throughout the day. So then by the end of the day, it's like, stop talking. Yeah, like I've seen you enough all for day, a little while. Yeah. Every day for the last how many months? And of course, that's you know a conversation in and of itself. But it's the idea of how do you stay connected? How do you stay connected to friends? Yeah. You know, or extended relatives. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a wealth of resources and, and beautiful things that we couldn't access for over a year, truthfully, because of the state of the world. So we had to get creative 
and not everyone had that ability to do that. Yeah. So kind of bringing it back a little bit to coping skills, how do you know what's going to work for you and how can you start filling your toolbox with different coping skills? I don't know if we know. I think it's a matter of trying. I mean, I think parents need to start at a young age with their children to explore how to appropriately manage emotions. Be it, you know, you seem really upset right now and let's let's see if we can maybe go for a walk and then we'll talk about it. And and implementing those coping skills without necessarily calling them coping skills, but just really learning with your child or role modeling that. Um, I have parents who do yoga with their children every morning, which is fantastic, even for 10 minutes. It's just a matter of stretching and breathing and paying attention to talk about deep breathing and how wonderful that is and how much that centers ourselves and it regulates our brain and our bodies. Like it's a beautiful thing. And for you to teach that as well as to explore new things, right? We often don't take enough pause in our day to even consider engaging with our children in play. Yeah. And play can be healing for an adult. It can be centering and it's a way to connect. But so often we just keep going and going and going and we forget to just slow down a, a second and allow ourselves to be. Yeah. It's routine and yes. schedule and time limits and all of those things. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to even say, you know what? Mom needs a time out. I'm going to go take 10 minutes just for me and then I'll come back. Yeah. And I know when I was younger and my kids were younger, I used to feel differently like I needed to be there and I needed to you know always know what was going on and what where they were and and be super involved and it's like wait a second like I'm a better parent when I can take a step out be it for 10 minutes or go to the gym or read a book I'm a better parent when I am present because I've taken that small amount of time to care for myself yeah which is so beneficial to everyone, but it's also beneficial for your kids to see that you are taking care of yourself, mm-hmm. that it's okay to take care of yourself and to have these various things that we do in order for us to function at a better level. Well, and like you said before, that's modeling, right? Like that's modeling the behavior that is beneficial for your children to learn, to say, I need a little bit right now. I just need some quiet space and it is okay to step out of whatever situation you're in, to take that, you know, 10 minutes, take that run, take that walk, go to the gym, whatever it is, and then come back kind of refreshed and ready to re-engage. Absolutely. Well, and I think it's so important to point out everyone has permission to do that, right? Yeah. One parenting skill, of course, is to give your child a timeout. And really a timeout is to disrupt that behavior and to give them space to settle their emotions and their thinking and their actions and then kind of regroup and talk about it adults need the same thing yes and it doesn't take all that long it takes less than 10 minutes typically to 
to burn off that adrenaline surge from when we do get hyper aroused with be it anger, frustration, and so forth. So to go for a walk or to give yourself a 10 minute time out is actually really appropriate because it allows us time to slow down enough that we're going to respond to a situation and not react. Mm -hmm. So if you engage in those coping skills, when you feel the emotional kind of rise going on in your body, in your mind, your relationships overall are going to greatly improve. Yeah. It's like you said in in episode one about emotional intelligence with the belly buddies in the morning, like with kids and the social emotional learning and kind of starting that day off with connecting the brain to the breath. And then throughout the day, if you're feeling overwhelmed, go lay down, put that stuffed animal back on your stomach and just reconnect that mind to the breath and get ready to kind of reconnect and move on. Absolutely. And I think it's so important, you know, you mentioned back kind of to that emotional intelligence. There's been a lot of research that shows that success, long-term success is not based on someone's intellect. It's Mm -hmm. not based on IQ. It's based on your emotional intelligence and how well you can connect with yourself, be aware of yourself. And of course that leads you to have better relationships with other people. But the, leaders of most companies are not the valedictorians. They're not the ones that scored greatly on an IQ test. They're the ones that are most in tune with their emotions yeah, because they know how to relate to people and be a good leader. And it, it, you know, I kind of feel like we just keep circling back, but really it comes back to being self-aware and being able to manage your emotions. Yeah. And finding ways to be able to do that is just, a key part of it, which goes to the coping skills. Yeah. It, it's funny how it's all kind of intertwined. I know. It's crazy. Now, I'm going to ask you another kind of twisty, turny, tangly question. How can coping skills help prevent or reduce substance use and improve mental health? Well, honestly, I think it has to do with when we are emotionally connected, right? When we have the emotional intelligence, that self-awareness, the connections with others, being able to see empathy, demonstrate empathy, being able to know our truth allows us to kind of start off in a better place than many people get to, right? So having that awareness allows us to have a lot of resources and have coping skills that we're learning throughout adolescence and and teen years so that when maybe the pressures of students or situations come out in regards to substance use you're already going to have other coping skills already in place right so then ideally with a good sense of coping skills and how to manage things it will be more difficult for you to simply try something to try and get rid of whatever the anxiety, the depression, whatever the mental health stuff is that's going on. Because oftentimes there's self-medication going on. Yeah. And without knowledge and knowing the truth behind some of these substances and what it does to the brain and to the body, oftentimes they're making situations worse 
nap better. Yeah. Right? So I'm drinking to sleep better, but actually when I drink a lot, my sleep is actually more disruptive because of the alcohol versus if I wouldn't drink. Yeah. But people don't necessarily, especially teenagers, they don't necessarily understand and comprehend that. No, it's more of a, it feels good or I feel less bad yes. in the moment, not thinking about, you know, the the consequences to come or the cycle that begins with, I feel bad, I'm going to do this to feel less bad, and then I'm going to have to do more of this to keep feeling less bad over the course of time. Exactly. And then, of course, comes the addiction piece of it, right? When the brain chemistry completely alters and... Although teens start out not believing that they're going to be addicted or that it's not going to cause any life struggles for them, it does before they even realize that it does. Yeah, yeah. And that's part of the difficulty that I think we're all up against is, you know, the, the human brain really doesn't fully develop until around age 25, and then from there, of course, our brains are always changing, but like that's kind of the big push, right? So, and we're going to get into this, I'm sure, in a later podcast. I don't want to say too too much today, but it's the idea that they don't have the ability to see kind of that, to have that executive functioning, to see long term what's the possibility if I do this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and one of the things that we talk a lot about at Breakwater is the importance of talking to your kids. Um, Wisconsin DHS has a small talks campaign that they're pushing specifically for underage drinking, but it's really relevant for, I think, kind of all areas of everything. Um, and we frame it in the context of underage drinking or substance use of, you know, talk to your kids, have these frequent, small, casual conversations, and talk to your kids about this stuff as they're growing age appropriate, of course. But like you said before, like you seem really upset right now. Let's go take a walk and maybe talk about it. Um, and just opening those lines of communication and modeling that behavior for them, giving them the language of, of how to even name an emotion or even saying as yourself, like, hey, you know what? I'm upset right now. I'm frustrated right now. I'm just going to go take 10 minutes of quiet and then I'll come back because I know that after 10 minutes of quiet or reading a book or, or going for a quick walk, I'm going to more appropriately respond to this situation, whatever it is, and kind of showing the it's I'm reacting because of what's going on in me right now, not because of what's going on with you right now. Exactly. And it's so important for people to see that because if they see you do it, it's like, okay, maybe I can do it. Yeah. And I know for me, we've always encouraged the kids, like if you need a timeout, Go to your room. Take that time out. Mm -hmm. Tell us, I need a minute. That's okay. You have full permission to do that. It doesn't get you out of the discussion. No. <laughs> but we'll we'll circle back around it. But I think it's really important. Yeah. You know, even with your kind of your last question about how do coping skills kind of help prevent like that substance use and mental health. Healthy coping skills equals healthy connection. And we know that human connection is kind of the the juice of everything, right? Yeah. So we want people to have human connection in recovery. We want them to have it in mental health. Every, you know, schools, that's what they're doing, human connection, healthy relationships. So people who have 
healthy coping skills tend to have healthy relationships. So if they're fostering and kind of cultivating those healthy relationships, they're going to be less likely to want to self-medicate. They're going to find other people who are able to help them manage those emotions or those struggles that they're having. Yeah. So how can parents, guardians help kids develop coping skills and when should we start teaching our kids how to cope? Well, I don't think that it's too soon to ever start. Um, I think it's important, you know, as even our children are young, you know, I remember when my kids were babies, right? You you talk to your babies and it's like, oh, you must be frustrated or that must have made you sad or you must be hungry and we're kind of their cue, right, to kind of guide them on what could possibly be going on with them. And that's how you start that. I think it's really important that we focus on no emotions are wrong. Mm -hmm. What gets us in trouble is how we respond to our emotions, right? But no emotions are wrong. And so to really learn to identify them and to manage them appropriately is really the key. You know, oftentimes children acting out is because they don't have that emotional regulation, right? They don't know how to manage what's going on with them. So it's important to say, wow, buddy, I see you're really struggling, you know, to express yourself right now. Let's talk about this. Rather than wanting to punish the child for having a tantrum or a fit or whatever is going on. And that is hard. It's very hard. I mean, we're kind of going through that stage right now of like big feelings, big emotions and understand like the so-and-so made me do this mm. because they did that. And, and like that outburst and that tantrum, it's hard not to, you know, go to your room or stop doing this and not like, it's hard. It is hard. And not that there's, don't get me wrong for me personally I think there's a time and a place for that like go to your room yeah you know because I need that time right (laughs) I need that pause and they obviously need it but like gives me a chance to regroup and like okay what's the important piece here but you're right I mean it's the idea that you're responsible for you and it's really hard to help kids understand that. And I think it just simply goes back to being open and identifying those feelings, right? Because he might be scared Mm -hmm. or he may feel betrayed because his friend didn't include him, but it comes out in a different way. So it's, it's exploring that. And don't get me wrong. There's not always a time for that great pause. Yeah. But I think it's important that when we do have the ability to do that, we're present, right? Get down to his level, look him in the eye, let him know that you love him, you're trying to help him, and we'll figure this out. So no one's going to do it right 100% of the time. Yeah, and I think that's important for, you know, obviously kids, but also parents, non-parent adults, like just important for everyone to know that you don't have to get it right all the time. In one of our coalition meetings the other day, one of our members kind of kicked it off with a sign on his desk that said, you don't have to be perfect to be awesome. Oh, and I love it. it it's, it's a great sign, right? And it kind of made me chuckle a little bit. And back to your earlier discussion about the internal dialogue and kind of in episode one with emotional intelligence about the way we talk to ourselves. 
I remember thinking, like, that's a great sign. I feel like that's something that I tell other people. But if I do something wrong, I'm a failure. I'm no good. Like, (laughs) just give up now kind of thing. So it's kind of funny. Like, you don't have to be perfect to be awesome. And that's 100% true. But in my mind, it's for other people. And I think just recognizing that in ourselves Mm -hmm. can go a long way in, one, helping us kind of learn and grow and develop those coping skills, but also just saying that out loud. Because if I feel that way, I know other people feel that way. Absolutely. Well, and some of that's what I like to call reality testing, right? Your reality testing, not only your negative emotions, but you also have to reality test your positive your positive statements, right? So it's making sure, is this really true? Yeah. Or is it just something I've always told myself or something I'm telling myself now? Like that's, it's, we're our biggest critic, right? We are more harsh to ourselves than we will ever be to anyone else. And so really all of what we're talking about is learning to treat yourself with a little bit of compassion Mm -hmm. and understanding and (laughs) self-empathy, right? And giving ourselves permission to not be perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So for as far as coping skill goes, you mentioned that you found that little A to Z chart for kids on Pinterest, which sounds awesome. I'm definitely going to look that one up. Is there any other resources that you could direct our listeners to, or if they're looking to learn more, or if they kind of just want to get an idea of what could I try as a a coping skill or even like a hobby because hobbies and coping skills I feel like are very uh, in line with each other like what are some things that I could try to help me if this is no longer working or that situation prevents what I normally do from happening you know if I'm working a corporate job laying on the floor with a stuffy on my tummy <laughs> probably isn't gonna be the you know the best thing to do maybe right. but where can people find more information or some ideas even of what to try? Well, something really simple, in my opinion, is the word stop. So the S stands for literally stop or pause. The T is made to take a breath. Okay. And then the O is to observe your mind bubbles, like your little thinking bubbles. Sure. Like, what are you telling yourself about the situation, about yourself, about the other person? And then the P is to proceed. So it gives you, you know, you stop, you breathe, because we've already talked a lot about breathing. And then you observe what's going on around you and how am I feeling and what am I thinking and kind of that reality testing piece of it. And then proceed from there. It helps all of us learn how to respond to a situation rather than react, right? React is just kind of that emotion-driven, you know, knee-jerk reaction where the respond piece is going to be taking that breath, honoring the feelings, the thoughts that are going on, and then just moving forward from there. I think simple breathing exercises are probably the most simple and You don't need anything to do them, right? You can do them anywhere. Breathing in through your nose for a count of two and out out of your mouth for a count of three. So you breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, and as you do that, everything starts to regulate. So your heart rate goes down. You probably realize that your body is less tense. So it's, it's simple things. In that aspect, I think, of course, the Internet's a wealth of resources. I encourage people when they're trying 
to figure out new things to try, go to the newspaper or Facebook, like things that are going on in your area. There's a lot of free events that you can try out to see if you even like them. Yeah. You know, going and walking through the um, farmer's market. Trying that or going and walking at the park or visiting the animals or volunteering. There are tons of things that people can do to explore if they like it, but also it's a give back to others. Yeah. And that always makes us feel better. Yeah. I think people really, not all people, but I think a lot of us underestimate what we get out of giving in, in volunteering or other ways. Now, when you kind of talk through this a little bit, the the stop, mm-hmm. when you talk through it, it sounds like it's something that, you know, you obviously have to be intentional about. It sounds like it might take a lot of time, but as you learn it, as you practice it, does it become kind of automatic or does it take a lot of time or a small amount of time? Absolutely. I think the longer, the more we, it's like muscle memory, right? The more we do something, the more automatic it becomes. And it's the same with how we process our emotions and how quickly we can respond with one of our coping skills. I will find myself in the middle of doing something and suddenly I'm taking deep breaths and not even realizing it until someone will say, oh, that was a really deep breath. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) yeah, you're right. It was. But you know what? I feel better because now I can get it all out. So things become more automatic. The same as if we don't practice healthy coping skills, the negative ones are going to be just as automatic. Yeah, that's true. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to join us for episode two and all about coping skills. Is there anything else about coping skills you'd like to leave the listeners with? You know, I just hope that everyone really explores different things and learns to become a little more vulnerable and realize that we don't learn without failure and that's how we become a better version of ourselves. thank you so much thank Um, you I think yeah learning without failure it's hard but it's true so thank you so much and I look forward to talking to you again on the next episode which is going to be about screen time and COVID wonderful thank you